You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you to another special bonus episode of Pops on Hops. And when I say special, I mean special. When Abigail and I started this project, we decided we wanted to focus on music, beer, and family. So regular listeners know that we tell a lot of family stories and discuss how music's influenced our lives over time, kind of becoming a soundtrack for our lives in the background. So several weeks back, I got a Facebook notification from a young musician in Los Angeles announcing the release of a solo album, Panic Induced Love. You might be wondering why a middle-aged man in Florida would be friends with a young musician in Los Angeles. It's quite literally because we're friends. Or I should say that we've been friends or that I've been friends with his parents since 1987. And if you do the math on that, that's before both Abigail and this young man were born. And so it's with great pleasure that we welcome Ian Rees, the Pops on Hops podcast, to discuss his latest project and maybe share a couple of family stories. Ian, thank you so much for jumping on with us today. Thanks for having me on. I, I know you're a musician. I followed your career, you know, pretty much through Facebook, mostly soundtrack stuff. And then all of a sudden, this album pops up. Hey, I'm releasing a solo album. And I think I reached out to you right away. I'm like, how do we get it? Where do we get a hard copy? You know me, I'm old school. Got to have a hard copy. And you're like, that doesn't exist, dude. You're going to have to do this one digitally. I'm like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> so I bought the album the day it was released. And uh, without anticipating that we might do this, listen to it. I was like, I love this thing. I love it. And so that's why I reached out and said, uh, how would you like to jump on and talk about how you put this thing together? Because I'm fascinated by the process on this. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Thanks for reaching out about it. It was kind of like I mostly post stuff that is probably I'm known for the film scoring related stuff. And I've done that forever. But at the same time, because of my dad a lot, you know, I was introduced to tons of more mainstream kind of at the time or earlier stuff. I mean, I was growing up listening to like the Beatles and Yes and Primus and just weird stuff that was certainly not, you know, movie music. But then at the same time, I was totally falling in love with when I would hear the scores for movies and even movies they worked on. I mean, hearing David Newman's score for The Brave Little Toaster growing up, I I totally adored that and other Disney things. So then they just kind of mixed as I was getting older. You know, I feel like I pursued the pop and rock stuff at an earlier age or just did more of that, like kind of all at once because I wanted to be cool and play guitar uh, in middle school. But then after a while, you can't help it. You're like, you know what? I'd love creating. And I still have that whole influence of listening to some of my favorite movie scores growing up. And I was like, oh, I should totally use my passion for being creative with music and apply it in whatever way I've enjoyed growing up and listening to. So that's pop, that's rock, that's really anything and marrying it to picture. But this stuff is you have to do something, you know, in the extra time you have to kind of hit all the bases. You know, I I couldn't just do one thing or one type of film score or one type of pop or rock music. So the albums are how I express that part and really go kind of wild with it. Yeah, it was interesting. I was going to ask you what your influences were. And when you said yes, that's an interesting call, because as I listened to this, I heard some elements that made me think of yes, not quite ELO, but that kind of sound to it from the late 70s from those bands or some of that through this. So I'm glad you brought that up. Honestly, a song that really stuck with me the second my dad first played it for me was Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. And it it was so wacky and wild. And I love the circus sounding influence. And then, yes, instantly just injected progressive rock into my brain. But then at the same time, I kind of have more experimental, ambient, almost score 
ish sections uh, or arrangements of these songs. I try to make everything fit, <laughs> even even when it feels like it's going all over the place. I think it fits together beautifully, honestly. I mean, I can I know what you're saying. There's some songs on here that, that have some ambience to them that are very experimental, moody sounding stuff. But it seems to me when you built some of these songs, you, you you would start with a few instruments and then you'd add instruments and there was a slow build on some of your things. And um, I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I, it's tough. I try to wrangle in the structure, have it make sense, and but also try to capture people's attention. And definitely the more... The stuff that is more drawn out or ambient definitely probably came from bands like Radiohead and Cigaros. And also the craziness in certain parts come from bands like Animal Collective, which is just lots of electronic pop rock weird elements. They certainly there's some bands where you listen to them. You're like, I don't know how they're famous because they do whatever they want. And then people just listen to it. And that's great. And I want more bands to be able to do that. And Radiohead and Sigaros are other examples of they do whatever they want and people love it. So it, it works out great for them. Abigail, I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I was reminded we did that instrumental album when Matt Marner was on with us. And Ian's stuff is very much like that. Like if you took the vocals out of it, the music, it's layered, it shifts gears. It's got two or three movements within a track. I, I found that it was very close to that um, to that album we did um, with Matt. I was thinking exactly the same thing and how the songs change so many times within the song, but they all sound cohesive. But I, I don't think this one you could play as an entire album and have the tracks blend into each other. And I don't know if that's the vocals, but each, each song is definitely a song on this album, which I do appreciate. It'll make it a little easier to discuss. And it made it easier to pick favorites <laughs> as well. Yeah, so it was very hard on that album uh, <laughs> that we did, the instrumental that we did that uh, Ian would probably like very much. You brought it up, so I'm gonna. I have to go here. You said you mentioned your dad, and you mentioned a brave little toaster. So I met your dad, my my best friend from high school, Steve Moore, Uncle Steve, as Abigail likes to call him. We've talked about him before on the podcast. Went to California out of high school. Went to California Institute of the Arts. Went for an animation degree, and then uh, ultimately worked with your dad on the Brave Little Toaster. And that's where they met. And they had that amazing experience. They did some of that work in Taiwan and they talk about it all the time to this day. And so they've known each other forever. I took my first adult vacation in 1987. I got to go. I was a medical student. I didn't have a lot of money, but I went to visit Steve out in Los Angeles. And uh, during that trip, he made it a point to have me meet your parents who he'd worked with and adored on the Bright Little Toaster. And so we were going to have dinner and we went to meet them at their house that they had just bought that had no furniture in it. I don't even think they were living there. I think they were just wanted to give us a tour of the house, same house they live in now. And so we went there and I looked at an empty house with your folks, which I thought was <laughs> the weirdest thing because here's the director of the Brave Little Toaster and he's showing me an empty room. And then uh, we went to have dinner in Pasadena and we're sitting in the, it was a very cool little Italian place in Pasadena with a window, a table in the window, like we were on display and we're having dinner and they mentioned that it was their fifth wedding anniversary. And I thought, why on earth are these people having dinner with me on their fifth wedding anniversary? And I just thought that was the coolest thing. But that was the night I met your folks, their fifth wedding anniversary. And so ultimately, we moved out there and, and became very close with them. Wonderful people. Your dad's career in the visual arts, your mom's career in the visual arts, just staggering body of work that they have. And I find it interesting that like even your brother, Wilder, is a visual artist. He's an illustrator, an amazing illustrator. And they all have that sort of visual sense. How did you escape that? How did you? <laughs> yeah. I always think about that. And it was the funniest thing when out of the blue, it really felt like out of the blue. And this is weird because, you know, my brother and I were living together for still most of our lives at this hmm. point. 
I saw him put together like kind of a portfolio to send somewhere. And I was, I was just so baffled. It's like, when, when did you do this? Like, when were you practicing this? I sort of saw it like he was tracing stuff from like when we first had the Halo games come out and we were playing together and he was doodling. But I always doodled too. That never really got me better at stuff because you're not like actually practicing things. You're just kind of doing whatever and having fun with it. But it really feels like I was just kind of born on that alternate wavelength that's still in like the same universe, but just totally pursuing a different type of art. But it's so funny that I'm just surrounded by three visual artists who are amazing at drawing and can do animation. And for some reason, it's like I need I was the puzzle piece that was like, well, you know, music goes well with pictures. So I have to fill in the gap there. And then my brother can go back to doing the visual stuff. I have to share a quick story. I I did playwriting in high school. And I was, my play was selected to compete at the state level. And when you compete, you present a scene from your play and then they critique you. And the play that was presenting right in front of mine was called Mimes the Musical. And it was about a family of mimes and the one child in the family of mimes that wanted to be a musician. And (laughs) this story just reminded me of that, of Mimes the Musical. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. And I think if I recall that the only one character in the play in the musical spoke and sang and everyone else was just miming. It was actually kind of that does sound cool. It was fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I hope that was performed well, because that sounds like a really interesting. Uh, a <laughs> it story. was. You know, you mentioned your father uh, being, you know, a, a visual artist. I, I think he of everybody is probably the most complete artist. I think to just call him a visual artist sells his talent short. He's amazing. Uh, he's an amazing yeah. writer. He is probably done some of the m- most complete projects. He works a lot in VR now. But the thing that fascinated me, the one that and I didn't even get to see it because it was in uh, Disneyland. In France, Paris, I guess it is, had Cinematique. Cinematique. Right. And he had Martin Short do um, kind of go through all these different films. And he went mm-hmm. and recreated scenes from like Star Wars and The Wizard of whatever it was. I, I never got to see it, obviously, because it was never in France. And there were live action elements to it on stage, if I'm remembering right. And then all the visual elements behind it. And he sees that stuff better than I think anybody I know to how to put all those elements together. Y- you get yeah. your talent, honestly, let's face it. I mean, <laughs> it's music or visual arts or whatever. He's he He sees multiple worlds of art so somehow i did travel to france with my parents and my family and saw cinemagique and yes there were visual elements on the stage where they make it look like a gigantic sword flies through the screen oh wow it was an amazing prop like rigged up it was coming up from the stage but it was supposed to look like it was coming through the actual screen so it had to be faster than you could even uh make out but it was the kind of thing where like if if someone just for some reason jumped up on the stage i'm sure they had stuff to make it stop but yeah this thing would have just split you in half like (laughs) and now that that stuff was really fun And, and absolutely that played a big role i got to hear bruce broughton the composer for that project his score for that was just amazing and i loved how he imitated all those old movie styles going through different eras and that absolutely i mean that definitely stuck with me i got to unrelated to cinema chic i got to meet bruce broughton and at least just say like that was cool 
you worked with my dad. Nice to meet you. Because it was so fun to hear my dad mock everything up with temp music and then hear what Bruce Broughton did mimicking that and how it came to fruition. That definitely stuck with me because that's how I still will approach a lot of projects is people put in the temp music. They tell me what they want it to sound like. And then I dive into that and do a bit of your own thing, but then also get enough of that flavor. And that stuff translates to my solo album music and my personal stuff is still, you know, like you asked me my inspirations and what I've been listening to. And it's a culmination of everything I've heard throughout my life. But also certain songs will be influenced by one certain song where I go, oh, man, I just love so much about this. And I need to take bits and pieces from that and then twist it into my own thing, but still reference it and just figure out like, why did they make this sound so magical? Or how did they Hmm. make it sound so magical? How do I try to get a bit of that? too, you know, and that applies to whatever type of music I'm working on. Do you have a specific example of that that you want to cite from the album? Do you have a track that you have in mind where you're talking about that kind of influence? Yeah. yeah why don't you share that with us? A specific one in mind was the one that I told you was supposed to be like the pop song single sort of sounding thing from the album Reasons, a love song, the second track. And it was influenced a lot by Sleepyhead by Passion Pit like a super old song of theirs back when they didn't even sound like themselves. (laughs) Like you could go listen to their stuff now. And I honestly heard singles from them come out later after I had heard that song, had no clue it was them. And then I go listen to this song. I'm like, they certainly had a different vision on their earlier stuff. And when I listened back to it, the production was different that I remember. Stuff wasn't quite as glued together, but the sound It was still there, like just this kind of weird, magical, kind of eccentric, bizarre pop song with a heavy kick going. And then also the singer singing like he's practically out of his range the whole time, Hmm. really high up. And that is how that song kind of came to be, is I really liked that song. And I was like, how do I spin this into my own style? Because that song, when I first heard it, I listened to it like a 100 times just because it was weird. It was weird and catchy and really popular. I was like, if I can like something this popular, but that I still consider bizarre sounding as a pop song, then that gives me hope. (laughs) Well, why don't we uh, why don't we take a listen to a clip of that? then. Yeah, great fun. That it, you know, now you played that one. That was one of the ones that made me think about yes, <laughs> in my head, you know, in my era. But I, yeah, that's a very bouncy song. And you were saying that's the one that was supposed to be written sort of like a pop hit. Yeah, my version of a pop hit, I suppose. Your version of a pop hit. Although all my songs end up having some 
trippy, weird technical guitar solo in the bridge. It's like, I can't help it. It just, that's, <laughs> probably, that's where the, maybe the yes thing comes from is I get to the bridge and like the guitar has to be distorted and heavy and now I have to do something weird. What's it like to try it? Like, okay, so you write a song that you think, so I'd like this one to be the single, let's say, because the traditional mm. music release pattern is you knew I'm out of the loop when I go, where, where do I buy a copy? But where, where, how do you do a single in 2021? Amazingly singles, like just doing, I wanted to make an album when I started this, you know, I, cause I had released songs unofficially as singles and I made a, my first short album was really just, it could have been just called like a compilation of random songs by Ian. That one was called Anxious, released quite a while back. It's far less cohesive than this. There's still like my, my sound in there, but this one I set off, like I'm going to go from start to finish and find a track order that is purposeful that I like. But for singles, for releasing like a single now, apparently that's the way to do it to get the most views and hits and get each song listened to the most. Hmm. But I didn't want to do that for this. But someone like, here's another name. I don't know if you'll you'll know Barry, Lil Nas X. I know the name. Can't tell you I've listened to anything. <laughs> but uh, he, I believe still, I might be outdated on this, but he got famous without releasing an album. He released a lengthier sort of EP with, a few tracks on it and then just single 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 single, and just has been doing that and he's one of the biggest names in music now and he hasn't officially released an album and so that kind of watch he's just going to drop his first definitely official album like tomorrow and then now i will be outdated uh it's on, coming on soon that. it's either just been released or coming soon there you go oh well, you know well, that i do <laughs> I happen to know Lil Nas X, <laughs> not in, not personally, but like I know of him, obviously. But see, he became famous just on mostly singles and his initial EP, which it's just definitely different than the previous album. And certainly concept albums are less popular when you think about that. Although I love when bands come out with concept albums. And this one wasn't a concept album necessarily, but I wanted it to be lengthier and cohesive. And then in the future, maybe I will go about going online and releasing singles which by the way if you want to know is super easy now and anyone could do it it's amazing but there's a lot to sift through obviously for people now because it's overwhelming that a high schooler and freshman with a laptop could go on garage band make a minute long song of loops and pay 20 bucks and get it up on spotify we know that because we do this little podcast and right <laughs> Right. There you go. <laughs> it's like no harm, no foul. It's funny you said that about anybody can make a song. So we recently celebrated Abigail's birthday and she shared something that her brother Zach had made for her when she turned 18, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And it was this thing he, I didn't ever seen it before. He did this little clip in the office on the Mac and he did this happy birthday song and he filmed a video clip with it. It was the silliest thing. He was 15 at the time and he did this amazingly cool job with this. And I, yeah. I said, how did I never see this before? And it was and all on GarageBand. I recognized the GarageBand tracks that he used because <laughs> he likes them and I've heard them a bunch of times. But the interesting thing there is anybody can do it. And then you're right. There's a lot of content out there. How do you pick through everything that's available? How do you break through is, I guess, was, was the question I was asked about the single because the old, right. the old pattern in marketing of albums was you released a single to the radio, maybe a few weeks in advance of the album, you got a lot of airplay and that drove sales of the album. And then as the album sales blew up, then you could release more singles on the back of that to propel it for a long period of time. That's all gone. 
radio stations are playing singles. People aren't selling albums. It's got to be incredibly hard to break through, you know, a crowded music scene with stuff when so many people can do it and just kind of put it up. I'm hoping that eventually I will have a complete answer for you on how to do that. Because for this one, I'm still reading and learning about getting stuff on playlists. And then I know people I've had this done for the film scoring stuff I do is, you know, someone in the industry, you contact them. And they're journalists and then they'll write a review of your soundtrack or mm. someone will write a review of your album. I wrote a super depressing short EP like six years ago or something. And I was just contacted out of the blue. I wish this would happen more often. And some guy just said, I have a blog. I review music. I love this. Can I review it? I said, sure. And at the time I was like, cool, this is what will happen from now on. That's not the case. Wow. <laughs> that was just really lucky. And also clearly it wasn't a big prominent blog or something. So didn't get me tons of exposure there. Mm-hmm. I know it's really tough for people to get started. Well, listen, you're on a podcast here. We have dozens of listeners. Your album sales are going <laughs> to blow up. I can tell you. Actually, I will make the pitch here that your album is available on iTunes. Just go buy the damn album, people. Go download the album. It's available digital. You'll get it for under 10 bucks. And more money will go to Ian that way than if you just play it on Spotify. And you can check it out on Spotify. I'll let you listen to it once on Spotify to make sure you like it. But then go buy the darn thing. This is silly. What are we talking about? <laughs> I want to play a few more samples, if you don't mind. I, you know, the process I always go through, and if I'm listening to the album Cold, is I mark off little notes on the track list, right? So anything that jumps out at me, I just put a star next to it. And things that really jump out at me, I put two. So I'm, mm. I'm delighted to tell you that I had all kinds of stars on this. I, I was. I'm honestly blown away, and I got to tell you, my album looked like a constellation by the end. Hopefully, <laughs> it, it, it did. It looks exactly like Cassiopeia, actually. Now that I'm looking at it, there were four that I that really, really jumped out at me. I kind of ranked them. I'm, I had Abigail. I tasked her with the same thing. Let's pick out some favorites. And so, I'd like to play a couple of clips, get your feedback, and maybe find out about how you constructed some of the songs. Because I find the ones that I selected as my favorites were very multi-layered. They had shifts in tempo. There were elements of ballad, then all of a sudden elements of rock. Like they really went back and forth in a lot of ways. And I'm going to go kind of backwards. Abigail and I have very similar tastes in music. So it wouldn't shock me if a lot of the songs that I bring up, she's already got marked off. So we'll see how that plays out. I'm going to go first. This is number three. My third favorite is Recompile. Oh, great. That's my second favorite. <laughs> see how this goes, Ian? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. love the way that shifts back and forth. 
And you picked a great clip to showcase that, Dad. I mean, it it went all over the place just in that little one minute that we played. Yeah, I really was trying to do that as I picked the clips. And and I'm at a disadvantage here, Ian, because as Abigail will tell you, I always go print the lyric sheets out too. And then my last listen before we do the podcast, I actually listen to the song while reading the lyrics because I'm trying to discover things maybe I've never noticed before. What I like, what I pick up from the song and the lyrics that I understand I can make out is that sort of anger and hostility. And then sort of the, it's time to recompile, it's time to back off. Time to relax. Yeah, you actually got that spot on. That is why I called it recompile. It's funny because recompile, I sort of thought of that in terms of of computer code at first and Mm. compiling and then recompiling. And you have to reset yourself, get back to having no errors in your code and sort of resetting. And then the rest, the verses are sort of happy and moving and circlical sounding. But then the pre-chorus leading up to it, I'm screaming. It's a bit angrier. And then it suddenly juxtaposed by really sitting back down, you know, for the chorus. Although then the bridge, of course, again, as I mentioned, it's going to have very distorted heavy guitars and get a little more wild. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the clip I played was leading into that, which is mm-hmm. interesting because he didn't get to fully recompile that time. Like earlier <laughs> yeah. in the song, it ends, <laughs> it, it, you don't get to that. And I, that's why I picked that clip. It's like he does recompile and then he moves back into the verse and he's kind of relaxed this character that I have in my head. But on this particular one, like he didn't quite get there before he got angry again, which I found really interesting musically and thematically that, you know, sometimes you don't get all the way back to baseline before the next thing jabs you. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if how you mentioned like the I feel like people don't or bands won't dive in enough. It's easy to get distracted, you know, during an interview and not dive into the nitty gritty of how stuff is really created. And so maybe I could shed light on that. This song started only on acoustic guitar at first, just those chords playing at the beginning. Then I kind of wrote it in those chunks. Honestly, this one was written fairly chronologically, like starting with that. I was like, this is a good verse. I'll come up with something that's catchy over this. I love adding some kind of more complicated harmonies in my verses sometimes. I'm trying to, in the future, I want to write stuff that maybe is a little more melodic or let at least jumps I, I like jumping around with my melodies but i feel like sometimes i do have to almost fix them after i think i like them but then go back i'm like well i've recorded them they're all done but it feels a little empty and then i fill it in with harmonies but i feel like i, I might want to in the future think of melodies that completely stand on their own and then hmm. can be like aided with harmonies but i really do like you start with like you you said uh, you know with just very simple layers i start adding stuff on and then i try try to hold off on all the transitional stuff and post-production for as long as I can. You know, all the fun sounds that completely glue it together in the end. But sometimes I can't help myself. And, you know, if I'm going into a transition, I'm like, this will sound great with a big white noise sound falling down into the chorus, then I'll just throw it in because it helps get me in the right mindset. And then one other little interesting fact is at the beginning of this, you'll notice it starts soft, then goes into the big kind of theme but that certain synth in there that you'll hear and that kind of sound doesn't really come back. And it's because I kind of did that. It was fun. But then since I was approaching it kind of piece by piece, I just never ended up returning to it. And I was like, hmm. I can't find a place for this to fit. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so at least there's a little more like of the nerdy technical stuff that I wish I do like when bands actually do that instead of just saying like, yeah, this was about love and I wanted something magical. I'm like, that doesn't tell me a lot about it. What instrument did you think of? What chord did you 
start on. That's why I love behind when bands actually film themselves behind the scenes, which I wish I had someone who could have filmed all this, but it's there's just so much going on. You brought up that thing about films. You have on your YouTube channel clips. None of the songs on this album are on there yet called, I yeah. think they're called Building a Song. It's fascinating to watch because you'll play the song. And then if an instrument comes in, you add yourself playing that instrument. So just to be clear for everybody, you play every instrument on this. The only thing I don't see ever playing, I assume you're using some sort of percussion tracking or drum tracking. Yeah, because yeah. Because I don't see you playing the drum, but you play, if there's two guitar sounds in there, you're playing both those guitars and then the bass, you're playing the bass too. And so then on the clip, you'll be playing three guitars simultaneously. It's amazing. There were a couple that were just brilliant. And of course, on our webpage, we'll put some links up to a couple of those because it's so much fun to watch. And obviously, you know, we made the joke about how you were the, the black sheep of the family, not the visual <laughs> artist, but you have some keen eye there because that stuff's well done. It's really fun to watch. And I'm kind of sad there wasn't any for these because I know it would be great to like put one up for this, but you'll get to it. You got time. I know. I will get a music video for at least one of these uh, with a director friend that I'm talking to. Yeah. Oh, that's okay, fun. Cool. It's not your dad, right? It is. It is not. But hey, that's actually <laughs> not a bad idea for, for, for the second one. See if he's got some time, right? Because um, <laughs> I know he did your cover art. I think you said that he he, he designed a cover. Yeah, art. yeah. Oh, how fun. Which I went and destroyed to make the mock-up of ours. No, I love that. That was funny. Him. You did it well, too. I know a little bit about Photoshop, enough to be dangerous, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, and I can't draw, so I had to go to Bitmojis for the characters and then just plug them in because I can't draw. And I wasn't going to call your dad and go, hey, Jerry, listen, I got this favor. Can you redo the cover and put Abigail on it? <laughs> I decided I would do it myself. I thought about it for about a second and a half. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to bother him with that. So anyway, oh, I, I really thought Recompile was brilliantly done. I flirted with that one and another one in that three slot. So I had like a, a three and a three A really, but I called it number four. If we get time, I'll, I'll share a number four. But uh, Abigail, why don't, you, why don't you throw one out and see if you can match me this time? I have a feeling that I might. Uh, my number three is Feathers. All right. That's my number one. Oh, good. Okay. That's my favorite song on the album. I love wow. this song. It has my favorite line in it. I'll share that later, though. Let's take a listen. The room is dark and the lights are talking softly. We request a spark when the vision fades around me, but it starts a fire. The irreversible burning eyes are looking Yeah, I, I think this song is brilliant. Again, it's another one of those that's shifting tempo. When I was a kid, I used to play music. I used to turn the bass down. I love the treble parts. Like I liked the melodies and I liked the harmonies and I would downplay the bass in a lot of songs. I've gotten to be a bigger fan of the bass over the years, but I was always, a, and that's why I always like jangle guitar bands because I was always focusing on those higher notes. And there's a lot of that in the parts of the song that I like the most, but it's got my favorite line. You can't magnify what's already gone. I love that line so yeah. much. And I can't <laughs> tell you, I think that's a piece of genius. Well, thank you. 
Awesome. Uh, it's it's funny because with this one, I you, you hear your stuff, you know, by the end, once I was releasing this, I had heard each of these songs like a 100 times already, not to mention individual like sections of it. God knows how many times. And so this one, I kind of went, I was like, I'll throw this sort of in the middle. I can't tell how well it'll be received or who will like it. And so far, yeah, this has gotten the most specific feedback of people saying like, hey, I love your album. I really like that song Feathers. How about that? Oh, wow. And I was like, cool. Well, that that's fun to hear. You know, of course, this is all friends saying this stuff, but I would have assumed they might have picked something earlier on in the album. But interesting. I, I was really happy to hear that. And I'm glad you like that line it's just something else that makes you sort of think that's a cool metaphor and i guess that makes sense it's vague enough that it means something different for everybody right yeah and i i like that i i can write with specific stuff in mind but that still sounds unique but that someone could totally hear it and i don't mind that someone will be able to interpret it even though they're abstract people can still totally get them you might have to think about them for like a second and then you go cool hey that's fun right uh, they're, uh, they're still specific even yes. though they are abstract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can get get a specific visual image from that line. You can't magnify yeah. what's already gone, but then you could apply that to a million different situations. Yeah, just to quickly throw in the chorus of that, uh, maybe you both know that movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind with Jim Carrey. I do. Yeah, and there's, I think, a track on there called Phone Call, something like that, but the acoustic guitars in the chorus were heavily inspired by this sound of to get a little more technical i think it sounds like there's close to dissonant kind of chords they're doing where they're hitting like these seconds and nines maybe or sixes in the the score for that for that in that track and i just loved that and i sort of took an idea similar for the chorus and that's probably where partly the abstractness of those lyrics came from is hmm. it sounded kind of like this whimsical magical sort of thought that you're into and that's what that track from the eternal sunshine score just made me kind of feel so that's where that sort of stemmed from and i i'm sure that would have been hard for people to guess so <laughs> i like throwing that in there just for people to know like wow that's an interesting origin for something that i wouldn't have connected wow that's very cool yeah i i don't have a whole lot of references for electronically based music but when my dad first sent me this album i told him i thought it sounded like an edgier version of owl city because that was really my <laughs> only reference point for sort of an electronically driven album and i think this song in particular feathers is very much like an edgier version of owl city i think even your voices sound very similar that's not the reason I liked it so much, but it was fun to hear that and be like, oh, this is like Owl City all grown no, up. I love I love that. you, Yeah, drawing the connection there. And I absolutely hear that, too. And yeah, my melodies and stuff or everything on the album, people will probably gather like, oh, this is all very deliberate and planned out. There's very few sections where it's like, oh, I just went with this take because it had a cool sound to it. It was like, no, I knew what I wanted. And I did 100 takes until I got, got that. And from what I remember of Al City's big song, which I think I actually had to do a sound alike of that for like some commission work one time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it has electronic elements. It's very deliberate and has a bit of that 
magic crispy sort of sound you know that's cool and I f it's fun to hear i'm just gonna say it's crispy, it's crispy. trust me <laughs> trust us Listen to it's it. crispy <laughs> it's well toasted <laughs> that's like when we describe beer which is usually the second part of this podcast and we say <laughs> it's creamy like what does creamy mean who knows but somehow you just taste it and you know it's creamy <laughs> it's interesting when you jumped on it and you started talking because i didn't know quite what you were gonna like i hadn't talked to you for years so i didn't know quite what you were gonna sound like when yeah. you spoke because your range of singing you're in a very high key a lot of times mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing what your range is on the singing so when you got on here your voice was a little lower that because of so many of these songs you're singing in a higher key yeah i was like oh, man he's working to get there because his voice doesn't necessarily sit there it was i'm definitely working to get there and i don't know what sometimes i wonder why i why i'm almost like torturing myself but i feel like my voice does sound better when i do have to work to kind of get there and obviously it's not like i'm i'm not saying i'm straining but it feels like then i really have to practice those parts a lot and get them to really sound good and also then I, yeah sometimes i really like the timbre of some higher tenor singers voices and so i'll be kind of envious of that and go like i want to sound like that i want to mimic that but yes, my speaking voice, it's funny, like I'm sort of in between like a baritone and a tenor, definitely more on the tenor side because my voice just kind of stops when I go down too far. But the resonance of my voice does carry this low end that makes it certainly sound kind of deeper than what my singing voice actually is, which, which is kind of nice. I guess like my voice already, I feel like it is round and not like decorated with a ton of timbres and other frequencies like people's voices can really range and sound i actually just saw the kings of leon play and that dude's voice has just so much character to it it's kind of crazy how he can just sing one note and there's so much there it's interesting a lot of my favorite singers have very deep kind of raspy voices i love sting I'm a Springsteen guy. They're in a way lower register. What makes them fascinating for me is the character in their voice. Like I have this discussion with Abigail all the time, like Mariah Carey and singers of that style do nothing for me. Just because you <laughs> can hit a note doesn't mean you should. Just because you can get eight syllables in a one syllable word doesn't mean you should. And I always went for the more raspy, you know, the Rod Stewart's of the world and, and those guys because of the character in their voice. They're not the greatest technical singers, but the emotion comes through because of that. Yeah, I think the only exception is Sting. He it's weird. He has a gravelier sounding voice, but he's a really high tenor when you look at his range on his songs. But it's weird because, yes, he has the I call it kind of like the Bruno Mars effect where Bruno Mars has this much raspier voice that sounds sort of strained, but he can sing really high. Yeah. But that's the only exception from from that list is Sting actually has like a crazy range, even though I don't know if he was necessarily like born with that. He might have just had to work super hard for it. I know what you're saying about Sting. I had the pleasure of seeing him with Paul Simon on a tour they did a few years back together where they kind of did their own solo work and they shared songs on stage and then he'd walk off and the other one would play. And they did Bridge Over Troubled Water. Like Abigail knows my story of I like to go to a concert when I walk out. I've seen one thing that is like, that's why I went to the concert. Sting and Paul Simon doing Bridge Over Troubled Water was that moment in that concert and his range in that song, because he's doing the Garfunkel vocal, was yeah. fascinating. 
So I know exactly what you mean when you say Sting has more range than we give him credit for when we always think about him being kind of a raspy, gravelly kind of singer. So Yeah, that sounds amazing. Those are two really very creative singers. They did a very brief, it might have been like a six-week tour, happened to pass through Florida here. I got to see it, and it was a phenomenal, phenomenal show. That's awesome. And just the way they did it, you know, it was like there was no headliner, so they would come out and play a few songs together. Then one of them would leave. The other one would play a couple <laughs> songs by themselves. The other guy would come back. They'd do a couple songs together. Then the first person would leave. And that's how they structured the whole thing. So everybody's getting a break within the, the set. You know, they were kind of walking on and off the stage at their whim. So there were all these kind of fluid elements to it that just made, and you didn't know what to expect because it's like two guys who have big catalogs that they could go through. That sounds fun for them. That sounds really fun for them. It sounds yeah. kind of casual. It's like neither one's headlining. We're both really good at what we do. This is fun. Yeah. I listened to a lot of Art Garfunkel growing up too. I love, love his voice. So I think it's my turn. So I'm going to give you, so I had now that Abigail stole one of mine i get an extra pick so i'm gonna give you my four which you is do. really like, i get to talk about three songs though and i and oh well that's cheeky well i figured we'd match another one anyway i didn't pick a fourth well you're a loser you lose you're not a loser <laughs> you lose today so the one that i was that was in tight competition with recompile for me was unfold track 11 mm. abigail didn't jump in and say oh that's one of mine too so i finally nope. got one on my own ian <laughs> So maybe I picked another one that made me think a yes. I, th- I, there's some elements of the yes in that one, I, I think. I feel like. You know what, what's funny about that song is I struggled so much with that one to make me be happy with it. And it actually started with a completely different melody for most of the time it existed. And I changed it oh, wow. probably maybe a couple weeks before I released the album. Like I just completely re-recorded and changed the melody and harmonies and stuff in the verses, added some transitional stuff to try to make it better. I almost left it off the album until I felt like I fixed something about it that was just nagging at me. And I really went with my gut on it. I was like, I don't want to release something where when I hear it, I kind of go, oh, that could be better. So this, I felt like the song for what it is everything finally fell in place but it had to be reworked it's just that i had already reworked so much stuff that this one i was kind of fearing like do i want to just leave this off or do i want to go in and make it satisfying for myself so then i reworked the melody and it made it on here and i'm happy it did it's definitely you talked about 
the songs having very different almost like movements in them and this certainly is a prime example of that especially like the first chorus it's like the song just completely changes there's no drums or anything it just kind of stops there's strings it's like suddenly i'm scoring a movie (laughs) that's why i did also place it further because i felt like maybe the more bizarre songs i kind of pushed further to the back to go like maybe people can get introduced to things that you can at least bob your head to a little more (laughs) yeah but i don't feel like they're out of like even though like so like number nine was feathers and and this one's track 11 and and they're two of my favorite ones on here it's right they don't feel out of place on the album and maybe that speaks to my preference for things that are a little bit more interesting and experimental than just kind of straight up pop songs uh that i like them so much but it's not what i could have expected people don't mention like one track that i thought like oh they'll love this and then it's not brought up i'm like you know what i don't know what i thought like i've heard this a thousand times and this is their first impression of it so it's great. It's it's really fun to hear the feedback. I'm glad you, you feel that way. Like, I don't know the backstory that you struggle with that until two weeks of your release date and what yeah. it sounded like before. And, you know, for, for me, I get the thing and I'm listening to it with a brand new set of ears, right? Like, I've not heard any of this before. I've not heard. I, I mean, I've listened to some of your soundtrack stuff as you've shared it on Facebook, but I hadn't listened to any of your songs that are sort of pop rock songs. I didn't know that was something you were even working in. So this was a delightful surprise for me. Well, and I do feel like there's a little bit of everything on this album. I mean, there's a little bit of something for everyone. If you like a more upbeat sound, there's some of that. If you like a slower, more ballady sound, there's some of that. If you like hard rock guitars, there's a lot of that. If you like electronically driven, kind of bubbly, crispy pop, there's a lot of that. So I really feel like there's something that everyone can find to like on this album. And I'm not a huge fan of the screaming, (laughs) typically. But two of my three favorite songs, maybe all three of my three favorite songs, have the screaming in them. Yeah. Why? Because it fits in the song. And because there's a lot of other stuff in the song, it doesn't matter that there's, you know, a line or two that's screamed. It sounds good in the context of the whole piece of art. Yeah, it's not the focal point. It was screaming with purpose, not just for the sake of screaming. Right. I think that's why that works so well. I can recompile. The screaming leads up to the sort of meditative epiphany and relaxing part, the the recompile part of it. So the screaming sells the song as opposed to just acts that scream their whole way through it. Like some of these speed metal bands, I can't listen to that stuff. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand why that's, I mean, you could be loud and raucous. Do you have to scream in it where I don't even understand what the lyrics are? No, that's, that's <laughs> not going to work for me as an entire artistic project. So that's something I don't gravitate to. Yeah. That, I feel like it does represent a lot of what I listen to. It's funny. I, I've listened to tons of metal with there's screaming and growling and stuff, but I've listened to just as much like straight up classical music. It's, it's always, I feel like I've listened and I enjoy Every genre I can think of, but it's just not obviously every band in that genre. It's usually very particular. There's some genres where I enjoy far fewer bands than others, but it comes with my other work. You know, the work that's actually financially supporting me in my career. I have to be able to do whatever a director wants me to. And I feel like either I'd gravitated to this career because I found that I could enjoy practically anything Or it's the other way around that Hmm. the career sort of dictated my taste over time. It's amazing. I've even almost made it a point when I haven't understood a band or style. Sometimes I get a little frustrated and I go, you know what? I'm just going to like listen to it again. And then after a few times you go, you know, I get it now. I'm not going to listen to it again in my spare time. 
But I'm glad I finally like understood maybe why this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Purposely and almost forcefully developing like your taste of certain stuff. I've always enjoyed that in the musical sense, kind of pushing your limits. You're like, can I end up liking this music that at first listen sounded basically like noise? And then you end up finding parts of it that you get. It's weird. I really appreciate what you said, purposefully curating your taste. I think that that's kind of an important part of being an adult (laughs) because you're always going to encounter people in your work and in your life that you are not going to get along with at first. But if you can, you know, purposefully curate, you know, your personality and your attitude towards a person or towards music, you know, whatever we're discussing, you know, you're going to get by a lot easier in life. So I really appreciate that you said that in the context of music, because I've had to do that a lot with human beings in my life. Maybe that's we can call it maturity. Maybe that's part of maturity or something, because I know it's a lot harder. Yeah. When you're younger, you like what instantly you gravitate towards. And over time, you just expand that orbit, I guess, Mm -hmm. or the gravitational pull. I'm trying to make a metaphor. It'll pop up in a song. It makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get a co-writing credit. Yeah. You know, in the process of us doing this podcast, Abigail would throw me an album and some albums I'm instantly like she's nailed my musical taste and I'm instantly into it. Other ones I've had to listen to more times before I peeled back enough layers to like get into the album. So even within this little thing that we're doing, some of the albums I've worked harder on because it took me a while to get into them. If you just listen to it and you go, nope, don't like it, I'm going to set it aside. You won't find those buried treasures in those things. You really do have to listen. And again, if you, I have to put the lyric sheets in front of me. Sometimes I'll struggle with an album for a while. Then I'll actually read the lyrics when I listen to it. And I'll go, oh man, the writing on this is brilliant. They've written some very powerful lyrics and I wasn't keying in on them because musically I wasn't maybe paying as much attention to the song as I should have. So I used to pay way less attention to lyrics. And I was trying to convince myself when I was in my like virtuoso guitar shredder days trying to play as fast as possible and listen to Steve Vai and stuff. I was convinced like lyrics don't really matter. Then that totally like shifted. And then I realized music that I was listening to before that, the lyrics were a huge part. I just kind of went through this weird, awkward phase of where like, no, just the instrument. That's the important part. And then realizing like the lyrics can 100% dictate whether I even love a song or not. And then I started to just totally kind of wash that, you know, delusion away. (laughs) Every word has its own set of consonants and vowels and all these musical sounds and frequencies and the way that someone pronounces them, like everything is just so different. And then there's the actual meaning of the word itself. Mm -hmm. This uh, album by this band called The Antlers, Uh, you can tell that it's going to be uplifting, right? Because the album's title is Hospice. Nice. Without the lyrics it would not be what it is. And it's it's really heavy. I got obsessed with it when I first heard it, but you kind of get emotionally drained after a while, which is why I personally actually don't write a lot of, even if I have lyrics that are deep and dark, it's hard for me to make the music just like fit that also because it does kind of drain you. And I feel mm-hmm. like I gravitate more towards music that has that juxtaposition of maybe a happy or just different sound than the lyrics, which could then sound happy, but totally bring you down or be about something different and heavy handed. So lyrics are a big part now and have been for a while. And I have fun writing them and coming up with them. We've talked about that a lot, right, Abigail, about the songs that sound so bouncy and poppy and the lyrics are so dark when you really dive into them. People love bopping along to that Third Eye Blind song about just like heavy, dark drug use. 
da 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 da. Hell yeah, this is yeah. this is my jam. <laughs> like, is it really your jam? Have you listened to it yet? The the one that always comes to my mind is the wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. <laughs> so bouncy <laughs> like, and like listen to that. Oh, okay. He's about to jump off a building. Like <laughs> yeah, I like that the music can mask that for so many people, including myself, though. Until you just start listening and you're like, oh my god, this is a whole nother layer. Yeah, that it's like a twist at the end of a movie. You know, once you listen through again, you listen to the lyrics more closely. All of a sudden you find out who the killer was. You're like, oh, my God, I didn't even see that coming. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think you had that epiphany with don't stand so close to me by the police. Oh. You know, because- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. That song's about what? Yeah. And that wasn't from listening to the lyrics. That was from listening to another podcast that cited it. That That is a perfect example. Probably one of the most popular songs that's like that. You can literally sing the lyrics along with it. And then <laughs> you realize after a few times, oh, oh, well, that's <laughs> dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a dark one. <laughs> Abigail, did you have another song you wanted to uh, find out about? Yeah. So we've done my third favorite. You chose my second favorite as your third favorite. So we've heard that one. So we'll go to my first favorite, which is Ultraism. Oh, cool. song just has so many elements that I like in it. You know, it has the tempo shifts, the volume shifts, the intensity shifts. This was the first song that my dad sent me when he was sort of pitching the album to me. He didn't mean to send me this song. He meant to send me the link to the whole album, but he ended up sending me the link to the song. So I went into this thinking (laughs) this was the song that he thought would get me hooked on the album. And it ended up being my favorite song on the album. So even though it was an accident, dad, I think you really, (laughs) you really chose well. Oh, that's fun. I thought you'd really buy into the line. You're ultraism is the reason we can't have nice things. I thought that that spoke to you more than anything else on the album. It's a very kind of millennial meme is saying this is why we can't have nice things. So when I heard that, (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I think this song is fantastic. I don't know what ultraism means. I didn't bother to look it up. It is the holding of an extreme opinion. Ah. And maybe an extreme ideology. And actually, I, we, I don't know if we meant to, but this is a perfect segue and like sort of bouncy songs with extraordinarily dark lyrics. Because uh, this song this is probably the most blunt for me to describe, like that it spawned from mass shootings and mm. the like. And uh, sort of speaking sometimes from the victim's point of view and then also analyzing just the anger you feel when it's from the actual person carrying it out. And this was like the second 
song that I wrote for the album. Oh, wow. The first one I ever technically wrote for it didn't make it on the album because it was legitimately like seven songs or more put into one. And it was just complete chaos. And I tried listening to it back and fixing it. And I was like, this is one that truly I can't do anything with. It is too wild. It is easier for me to leave this off. Otherwise, I could spend months trying to figure out what to do with that. So this ended up being the first official one that made it onto the album. Wow, that's very cool. And it was another one. I thought it was strong, so I put it in third place. It's like there's Routine Bliss, the introduction, Reasons, the single sort of pop song, then Ultraism, which was my strongest rock pop, not really rock it's wacky. I don't know what to describe <laughs> it as. <laughs> it is wacky. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard, you can't really put a label on it, right? It's it's one of those ones that's got a very complicated song structure and also very layered track work. So like it layers more tracks on the further along it goes. Yeah, I like this one a lot. It's probably like my fifth favorite on the album. Again, without the lyric sheets in front of me, the line I keyed in on, I knew exactly what the song was about from that one line, Ian. Like that mm-hmm. nailed it for me. I'm wondering if my lyrics are up on like Google yet or something, you know, if you just search. I went I went and looked. I went actually went to look and couldn't find any lyrics for it yet. So, um, but you know, I'll, I'll circle back. Yeah, the distributor for it. I'll have to see. They make you upload every line, you know, all the lyrics and approve them all. Oh wow! I probably just didn't check off something to make them available on you know as easily everywhere they review that to put like you have a bunch of songs that say explicit they're not super explicit but I, they, they mark everything off you know what i gathered is you play it safe if there's lyrics it's part of the publishing process and the distribution process and they also some stuff got rejected of mine because you're not supposed to put a comma after each line you just have the line skip the next line and you there's a specific formatting oh wow they want everything to be standardized and then yes double check and make sure like that they're actually represent what's on the track specifically and to review them so it's a fun process honestly once that's done you're just uploading stuff it's a breath of fresh air because i worked on this for probably two years oh wow wow this didn't really take me two years to make it's probably you know if you just took all the time specifically spent on this and then finally i was like you know it's pretty good along with that i couldn't help myself but obsessively make those youtube videos and scoring films so for me that was a an appropriate pace try to shoot along did the uh is just a random question but did the pandemic change like your work structure is probably the same one way or the other right you would have that time anyway right the only thing is that there were little bubbles of time where i wouldn't have had because i primarily work on foreign feature films from vietnam and they were on lockdown and so their production just kind of halted and so i had a huge chunk of last year like right when the pandemic started i was just going non-stop working on the album and videos and things and then there was this solid five-month period where vietnam opened back up and then every director that was waiting in line for our team was like okay we're gonna finish up the project now and then it was just month after month and i didn't get to work on the album for super long time for several months but then Right when that stopped, I just dove back in and wrapped it up. Yeah, so it did dictate kind of my work schedule. However, 
I, I'm used to, I wake up in the morning, I come into my little box studio and this is where everything happens, you know? So that didn't change. And I, I felt like I was one of the lucky, least affected mm-hmm. people during it. It's I, I just, I lucked out in a lot of ways during the pandemic. I was in a perfect situation. Like this is where you want to be <laughs> if there's a pandemic happening is right where I am pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> right. Being able to work by yourself in your own space, no commute. Yeah. And already be an introverted person. You know, that, <laughs> that's amazing. Six months go by and I'm just like, I kind of want to see my close friend now, but it's not like I need to go out. Although it's it's great for that to happen again too, but it's like I can last way longer than most people. There was a definite, uh, so uh, in mental health kind of world, Obviously, a lot of people struggled during the pandemic with mental health issues, but they were not the introverts. The introverts actually had improved mental health status. So your anecdote is dead on with what the studies and research have shown is that a lot of people were like, this is great. I don't really want to go back to what it was like before. That makes sense. And they were the people who would describe themselves probably as introverts. So that's interesting. You would bring that up. Some people sometimes still need clarification that introvert or extroverts where you get your energy from. Some people might think like, oh, antisocial or asocial or you're socially awkward and it's like, no, I could honestly, I can conduct myself fine now in social situations. But what really gets me going and focused and work is you're in front of a screen or you have an instrument. I'm singing, performing, recording, mixing music, and then watching other people make music on YouTube. That's where my brain's working and I'm really fulfilling myself and giving myself energy. And that still happens. I'm, I'm, I am a mixture. I can go out and socialize with people and stuff. But when I get home, it's like then I take a breath and like, oh, wow, that was draining. Whereas other people are good. They get home. They're like, man, now I'm sad. I want to go back out. I want to keep doing that. I'm like, oh, man, no, I'm over. I'm done. It's, we were out there for like two hours. That's plenty of time. <laughs> I need a nap now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's very much me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I have to be with I have to be with people. OK, well, I definitely need a nap before and probably after. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> guys, you guys, you make me sad. You guys. <laughs> Um, there's a song on here I have to ask you about. It's almost incidental music, and that's Jerry's Jig. I'm going to let Abigail play a clip of Jerry's Jig, and then I got I to gotta dig into that one. By the way, the clip is the entire track because it's 58 seconds. Obviously, you know, the first question I'm going to ask your dad's name is Jerry. Yeah. So is this written for Jerry or performed by Jerry or what's the story there, Ian? (laughs) Yeah, this was really fun. I surprised my dad with this track. This is a song that he has played on ukulele since I was a baby. I'm pretty sure. And I've just always heard it. And then I 
sort of like didn't fully learn it. And I realized like, I'm not gonna be able to figure this out on my own unless I have a video of him playing it. So honestly, I at some point asked him like, hey, can you send me a video so I can figure out that ukulele song you play? And he did it, but he didn't envision that I would be recording it and putting it as its own standalone track on the album. So I learned it. I performed it. I did have to chop it up, even though you can't tell on this, to get a really good recording and for the amount of time I had to record it, uh, which props to him because afterwards I was like, wow, this is I thought this would be easier for me. I've been playing guitar for 20 years, but I'd wanted to get just a really clean, solid take to play them. And the only thing I changed was maybe some of the repetitions and the very end, how it kind of goes down chromatically to finish those final chords but the rest is just his composition and even on the distributor's site i put that as technically a just a cover song then i put that him you know he's the original composer even though there's Aww. no recording of it this is the first recording of it so yeah that was just fun to throw in there as the third to last song you probably saw it you know and was like huh i wonder what that is i know him he probably listened to it all in order because he still does that <laughs> Sound familiar, Abigail? Yeah. <laughs> and but then when he got to it, I knew that that would just be a really fun surprise. Oh, I love that. So I had one person ask me, like, how did he react to that? And I was like, I know my dad super well. I knew it would just make him smile. And it was really fun for me to finally learn this song that I can't believe I didn't even know it by now. And I feel like I kind of owed it to myself and him to finally get that done. Maybe he, he probably was like, finally, I've been throwing hints at Ian playing it almost every day when he was <laughs> just like, hey. So now I'm going to ask the next obvious question, because his father, your grandfather, makes wooden instruments, including ukuleles and, and mandolins, and violins in a wood shop. Yeah. He's over 100 years old. I think he's 101 now. Wow. Did you play that on one of your grandfather's instruments? No, this was a different ukulele. It wasn't one of his, but that would have been wonderful. I should do another like a video of me performing this with my dad with one of the original ukuleles. But it was one that I got for my wife. She wanted to learn to play ukulele and I have it sitting back there. And yes, yeah, so I recorded on that. But yeah, I know I should have commissioned him to make like one another specific one just for that as like mm -hmm. the trifecta for Jerry's jig. That would be so cool. I'm not sure I've ever met your grandfather. I, I think I've only met him through photographs from your dad. I keep forgetting to reach out to your dad because I'd like to buy one. I, I can't play any of these instruments, but they're so beautifully done. I just wanted to put it on a, like a wall display as a piece of art because they're just gorgeous. Yeah, I play as I've learned to play poorly violin but on one of his violins that he did make specifically for me when my brother and i were just super young he made oh, wow. he made some and i finally one day was going what am i doing he just gifted me a free handmade violin with literally my name on it and i don't know how to play so a few years ago i was finally like i need to start learning violin like i'm missing out what am i doing and then i've been featuring that in some of those youtube building a song videos i you know. saw that i actually saw you play the violin i went oh my goodness he even plays the violin is that that instrument in that clip yeah then i will share that that's so cool yeah the most recent one i did with dog toys has violin featured in it and is probably me playing it the best so far because every time i make a new one i get a little bit better <laughs> all right I'll, I'll dig it up i was i looked at a few of them i was gonna put your cheese video up too um that was a fun one an original song about cheese yeah that cracks me up every time i watch it <laughs> <laughs> is it like the savoy truffle <laughs> it is in that he names a ton of different cheeses in it abigail you're gonna That's find the so writing funny. very very funny and then he's of course he's <laughs> eating the cheese in the video we're talking about you like you're not in a room man and 
and if you uh, are a fan of Bo Burnham, heavily inspired by I am. Yeah, his his humor and filming style. Like I had seen his stuff for years and I just thought like, wow, he does all this practically himself and he's just really creative and funny. And so I wanted to do something sort of in that vein because I feel like I, I used to make tons of videos and have fun with it before music just totally consumed me. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, there's no reason why I can't combine these together. And people have been doing that forever. <laughs> and so then, yeah, I went on and started doing that. And then I thought even more so than just me playing instruments, like actually making some something that just stands alone and is just a funny song with a with a funny music video. Uh, I'm less focused on obviously I'm trying to spend as much time as possible on the composition process and learning arrangement orchestration. That's what I was trained in academically, but I just can't stop being mesmerized by the production side of things in terms of audio and video because I was always doing that with video and stuff and loved I was editing stuff as a kid and then started editing, you know, music and audio and it's just all kind of one for me, even though obviously music composition is number one, but I can't just solely narrowly focus on that because I want to be able to create stuff on my own by learning all those other things, you know? Hey, and I was going to ask you right before the pandemic broke, your entire family was going to have a family art show. I'm blanking on the name of it. Everybody was going to bring their stuff. Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces. That's oh, right. very clever. <laughs> Obviously, it got tabled during the pandemic. You guys thinking about bringing that back around at any point? Yes, that absolutely. The idea of it never went away and we even rescheduled it for like november of last year and then we realized nope things are like worse than ever uh so <laughs> then we had to keep extending that and now i think i mean i don't think there's a date for it but in terms of what's created for it that's been sitting there and it's done all the art oh, pieces wow. are done the music that i wrote to be played is finished everything's ready and it's just been kind of sitting there that's and that's what the pandemic did for a lot of stuff i scored with my team a whole movie we got paid in full and that was in we finished that up in february and they haven't been able to release it oh wow crazy it's, just, right? it's horrible how this does affect a lot of people they've had enough to finally pay everyone but still just can't show their work that's kind of how it feels here is we're still just waiting and especially for that my mom dad and brother they did so much work for that my music was like in addition to that and i had fun doing it but there's just really it's like they did all the planning and preparation and now it's just being delayed kind of indefinitely so i think now would be a totally viable time We'll see. I really want that to happen. I'll keep my eyes out for it because it, it looked like such a fantastic thing. I was, I looked at it and was like, oh, is this worth a flight to LA? Probably. <laughs> and so I was, I was eyeing it up and then it got uh, postponed and I was very sad by that. So I'm, I'm still watching for it. I can't thank you enough for coming and doing this with us. I was wondering if there was, I, at the end of the podcast, I may share one song in its entirety. I was wondering if there was one that you would want us to share with everybody. Honestly, if I just had to pick right now, I would do Routine Bliss or Dream Bubble, or I was about to just start listing them all off now. <laughs> <laughs> Dream Bubble's not as high energy, but it you know has that super dreamy chorus in it. And then Routine Bliss is the energetic introduction to the album. And I love them both. So I'd say if Routine Bliss is actually on your list, then go ahead with that one. That could probably be a good, heavy, good outro for Well, well certainly a good intro to the album, right? Abigail yeah, always talk about yes. the first song on the album being the mission statement of the album. And, you know, you hit the play button and that comes out of the speakers. And you're like, yes, you can tell in a few notes that you're going to like the album. Yeah, definitely. I also completely subconsciously, my dad pointed out, he was like, wow, the final lyrics are, 
I'm not telling you it's over now. And then the opening line of Routine Bliss is, it's not over. Oh. And I had no clue I had done that. That is cool. You're supposed to take credit for that kind of stuff, Ian. Yeah, it's not an accident. (laughs) But I like that. It's like, clearly, that can't be an accident, but I just didn't think about it. And I love that. I love accepting that so much of life is out of control (laughs) and you do things that you didn't think you even meant to. That's awesome. Abigail likes to listen to her albums on repeat. So I'm going to ask her, did you catch that, Abigail? I never caught that. No, (laughs) no. Well, I think the opening musical part of Routine Bliss is so intriguing that I didn't catch that the lyrics bled into each other. There's a lot going on. No, it's a fun song. I I like it a lot. And I think it really set the tone for the album. Yeah. uh, it's a, it's a good one. Ian, it was great, great fun catching up with you. I'm so glad we got to do this. I hope we get to do it again. If you have anything going on you want to talk about, just you know, reach out to us. We're happy to do that. And we you know, we put a formal episode up every other Friday. So our, our other Fridays are open. And we have one person who's a friend of mine in town here who gets mad when there's no bonus episodes because he's like, what am I going to do with my Friday? And I'm like, <laughs> you're going to have to do something else, Joe. I can't help you with that. So I'll reach out to you. And, and you also feel free to reach out to me to discuss any other part. As you can tell, it's like the one thing I can talk endlessly about is music. So we'll obviously link to this album in our show notes as well as your YouTube channel. But is there anything else you would like to plug? Where can people find you on the internet or anything else you'd like us to link in our show notes? Well, you could put my main website if people are interested in my orchestral work. But besides that, between YouTube and Spotify, you'll find practically everything I have to offer and enjoy if you like some of my stuff and if you want to hear how varied uh, some of my music can get you can check those two sources out awesome thank you well you can find us on all social media platforms Facebook Twitter Instagram YouTube at pops on hops pod or you can email us at pops on hops pod at gmail.com wherever you're listening to this there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you and on behalf of hops and pops and Ian Reese. We'll see you next time. I'm not telling you it's over now. One foot out the door, they're too loud. I'm not telling you it's over. And now, please enjoy Routine Bliss, the opening track from Ian Reese's new album, Panic Induced Love, in its entirety. It's not over, regulate the science, try not to wake up anxiety, the shadows will envelop you, the sin as Take a cold shower, then I'm ready to